How you guys doing this morning? All right, hey, I got some really, really, really good news. I know you guys are all pumped about it. I know I'm pumped about it, but uh, I, you guys probably already know this, but college football is back, all right? So I'm excited about that. Get some football. Football's back, man. I'm so pumped about it. All right, but uh, I'm also pumped to be here. And so um, what we're going to be talking about today is, is going to be good stuff. Uh, so this week we are uh, we're continuing on in our series called Redacted where we are talking about truth that you, can't, you just can't say anymore, okay? It's not popular in our culture. Really, our culture tells us not to, not to speak of it anymore. And, uh, and let me just kind of tell you, next week, we are going to talk about truth in general, okay? Truth is something that, the, that our culture and um, society and the world tells us all this different stuff about. And so we're, there's just a lot of stuff there. So make sure you're back here next week as we unpack the whole issue with truth and what's truth and what's not truth and where do we get truth and why does truth even exist and all that type of stuff. So make sure you're back here for that. Uh, but today, I want to talk about some hard truth. We are going to talk about the reality of hell. Okay. Now, I know what you guys were thinking when you woke up this morning. You rolled out of bed. You hit that alarm clock. And then you thought, man, I hope he's talking about hell today. You know, I love them hell talks. I hope it's a good hell talk today. You know, I, I know that's what you guys were thinking. And I'm just saying it's your lucky day, man, because that's exactly what we're doing uh, today. But uh, think about it. Hell. It's a place nobody wants to believe in anymore, right? Or nobody ever that I know of. We, you know, it's just a place we don't want to believe in, and nobody really talks about it much. I mean, think about it. Those of you guys who are Christians, and let's say you have, you're really spiritually mature, like, when was the last time you walked into work? You know, we, we just don't do this. We don't walk into work going, man, I hope I could tell my coworker about hell. You know what I mean? Like, we don't do that. That's, that's weird if you do, I, I think. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but uh, I've been to a lot of funerals, and uh, I've never heard anybody stand up there and say, it's always the opposite. I've never heard anybody stand up there and say, man, you know, Dave, I like Dave. We're, me and Dave are good friends. Dave's a good guy. But, uh, you know, that dude's in hell, you know. Like, people don't say that at funerals. Or you shouldn't say that at funerals, I guess. It's always there's some angel staring at us, looking at us, and watching everything that we do, which is kind of creepy if you think about that. From heaven, you know, that's a whole other thing. But, uh, but the world tells us, hey, don't believe in hell. If you're a pretty good person, you don't got to worry about it. You're good to go. You, you know, don't even, don't even think about it. That's what the world tells us. And, and there are a bunch of different beliefs out there about the whole, revolving around the whole idea of hell. I mean, some people say, hey, well, you know, there is no hell, right? We just, we just live, and then we die, and then we are no more. Like, there's no soul part of us. Um, it, we're just a body, and when we die, the body, you know, just rots in the grave or rots in the ground at some point. And, but, so that's why we should live it up, and that's why we shouldn't worry about things, and that's why we should party hard, because, because life should be all about, you know, do whatever makes us happy, and just all this stuff. Other people say, well, yeah, maybe hell exists, um, but if you're a good person, don't worry about it. You're definitely going to heaven. And if you've done some things in your past that maybe you're not so, you know, proud of, that you shouldn't have done, you know, sure, maybe you'll go to hell, but just for a little while. It's only a temporary place. And then eventually you'll make it to, up to heaven. So, so that's good. 
Uh, there's a bunch of people around the world who would say hell as a place doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily real. They would say um, when you die, you actually come back to life as something else. This is what Hinduism teaches. And uh, when you come back to life, you know, maybe you won't be a person anymore. Maybe you'll be some sort of animal and, and like a goat or something. You'll be a goat for your whole life and that'll be like hell for you um, as a goat. That's, that's what they think. And, and so it's just all that type of stuff. Uh, some people, um, Catholics, I mean, point fingers here, I guess, um, you know, they, they, they believe in purgatory, where it's, hey, you know, if you are a, a good person, um, or if you've done some things in your past that you're not so proud of, you just kind of go to this medium state called purgatory, where, where it's not so bad, and, but your goal is to get to heaven, and so what you need to do is people that are still alive here need to pray to the saints for you to get out of purgatory and they can pray you out. Or if they just give a bunch of money to the church, then you could get paid out that way too. So that always works. Um, you know, that's what, that's what they teach, purgatory. Um, some people, they, they say, hey, it just doesn't exist. Like hell doesn't exist, so you don't need to worry about it. But heaven exists. We all get to go to heaven. And so don't worry about hell because heaven's the only place that's out there. And then other people, and this is probably some people in this room, they're just like, who cares? It's so far away. I'm not planning on dying anytime soon. Like, what's the big deal? Who cares about hell? I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm just going to live in the present. I'm just going to do what makes me happy right now, you know. The issue is that we as Christians should have, with each and every one of these, is that the Bible teaches the exact opposite of each and every one of these. Okay? The Bible tells us that heaven and hell are very real. Okay, they are real places. We see this all over. We see this in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament. I believe every author within the New Testament talks about heaven and hell. And so the Bible describes heaven and hell as very opposite places, which I think most of us understand. All right? The Bible explains, or, uh, explains heaven as a place of life, where hell is a place of death, and heaven's a place of no crying, and hell is a place of constant crying, and Heaven's a place of no pain, and hell is a place of, of torment. And, and for most of us, all of us in here, we look at that and we're like, okay, yeah, I really like the qualities of heaven. That looks pretty good to me, the life, the no crying, the no pain, everything's good and glorious, awesome. All right, but I'm not a fan of the hell portion where it's death, constant crying, and torment, okay? That's not a word that we want to be any place, you know, around. And so it kind of makes us squirm a little. We're like, oh, hell, I don't really want to think about that, and I don't really want to say that people are going there, because that just it doesn't feel right. But here's God, what we're going to look at today, is that God says, no, 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 both exist, and both are very real. I mean, Jesus talked a lot about, he talked about both heaven and hell, and actually, Jesus, he talked a lot more about hell than he did about heaven. Um, there's one time that we're going to be looking at this morning that he gives an extremely vivid picture of hell, and he does this in a story form. Uh, it's something called a parable, okay? Now, if you don't know what a parable is, uh, a parable is basically a story that Jesus told to teach, okay? And so he does this one time, and when Jesus was um, out in his ministry, which was for about three years, uh, from age 30 to 33-ish, he was out there, and, uh, and 
he became kind of an instant, like a local celebrity. Like people wanted to see what he was doing. People wanted to hear what he was going to say next because Jesus was saying things that nobody thought they would ever hear and he was doing things that nobody had ever seen before. And so everybody wants to hear and see what Jesus is doing. And so when Jesus is out talking, large crowds of people would come and, uh, and check out what Jesus had to say and check out what Jesus was doing. And so this one day, when Jesus tells this story, he's talking to a large crowd of people. His disciples are there. They're, they're listening to him. And, uh, and he looks to this crowd of people, and he begins by telling them a story. This is what he says. He says, hey, uh, picture this, guys. He's like, hey, there was a rich man. By the way, let me stop right there. When we hear the word, when we hear rich man, most of us in this room, because this is just like our American culture, I don't know why this is. I don't think this is necessarily good. But uh, most of us, we go, whoa, rich guy, bad. I'm not rich. You know, those people are selfish and they only want their own money and, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, this, you know, that's not necessarily good. It's not rich guys are bad, poor guys are good, which we're going to see here in a second. Um, but that's kind of how we naturally tend to think. That's our society. That's our culture. Um, that's, I don't think that's necessarily good. By the way, every single person in here, we are more wealthier than this guy that Jesus is talking about, the rich man. Let me put that in perspective as well, okay? Um, this guy, you know, didn't have nearly as much as what we do in our day. So lucky for us. So he says, there was a rich man who had dressed in purple and fine linen. He was feasting lavishly every day. So he had more than enough food. All right, sound honestly like what we have. And uh, he's got nice clothes and everything's good for him. Everything's great. He says, but a poor man named Lazarus, he was covered with sores and he was lying at his, at his gate outside his house. He says he longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. Now, how many, we got dog people in here. You guys like love dogs. You guys got dogs. Cuddle with your dog, pet your dog. Some of you guys got way too many dogs and are a little over the top. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, I think sometimes as in our culture as Americans, we, leave this, we read this and we're like, oh, those little puppies, they come over here and they lick that poor guy's sores. That is so cute. You know, some of you guys, you dog people, this just tugs at your heart. You can't wait to see your dog already. Okay, I know. There's you guys out there. You guys are crazy. Okay, so... Let me just say, that's not what's going on here, right? That's not the picture that Jesus is painting. Uh, these are like mangy, nasty, like street dogs, okay? I don't know how else to describe that. Um, let me try to describe it like this. Uh, when, uh, so a lot of you guys know, if you've been coming to church here for a while, uh, we have a couple orphanages in Thailand that we, um, we take care of, really, their every needs. We've built the buildings. We take care of the kids. We've got about 55 to 60 kids. It fluctuates around there. Um, and, uh, and what our church does, what's one cool thing about our church is that we get to go visit them every few years. Some of you guys have gone over there across the other side of the world and has visited with our kids. It's just kind of a cool thing. We got a unique relationship with them and, and we kind of know them, all right? It's, it's fun. Uh, but, uh, but I was over there a few years ago and we traveled away from our orphanages to go visit a place up near the Burma-Thailand border. By the way, Burma or Myanmar, that's the country where I think it was like a year ago, we were talking about some kids that we were helping with hospital funds. You guys know what I'm talking about? Because they hit a mine, a you know, landmine and blew off, you know, just not good. Anyway, by the way, those kids are all good, have some things amputated, but, uh, but they're still alive and are able to be a kid again, which is cool. Um, because, of, because of us, because we help pay for their treatment. Anyway, um, so 
we, up, we went up there to the Burma border, and um, in, in this city that we were in, there's like packs of dogs everywhere, okay? And these aren't like dogs that are your pets. Like these are mean, nasty, you know, diseased animals, okay? Not good. And uh, it's kind of funny because some of these dogs, they're not like, you'd think they'd all be kind of like the same size, but no, it's, it's kind of interesting because you've got like big dogs, you've got little dogs, you've got medium dogs. They're all like a pack, like they're a family, they're cool with each other, and they hate that other pack. And so what you would see and what you would hear all night long is dogs fighting with each other, yelping, and dying, okay, and crying. It is, it is, some of you dog people are starting to tear up here, but uh, this is the real world. Um, and uh, and it, so... Like, those dogs aren't anything you want to even be around because they're wild, feral dogs. And so that's the picture, by the way, that all the people in the crowd, when Jesus tells this, and he's saying, yeah, the dogs would even come up and lick this dude's sores, all the people in the crowd are like, whoa, that's bad, all right? The dogs are not comforting this guy. The dogs are waiting for this dude to die, okay? That's what's going on. And so Jesus... He paints this picture for us. He introduces these two guys. You got this rich guy and you got this poor guy. His name's Lazarus. And this rich guy, he's got it all going on. Right? He's got a good life. Uh, he's, uh, he's got the money. He's got the power. He's got everything that we want. He's got everything that most of us in this room spend our lives running after. This guy's got it. He's already got it. He's, he, he's good. But on the other side, you got Lazarus. He's got nothing. He's covered in sores. He's in constant pain. Uh, he's laying outside. He's got no place to go. He's got no food. In fact, Lazarus, he wishes he could eat the rich guy's garbage because that's what's better for him. And even the dogs on the street are waiting for, the, for him to die. I mean, it's just this pathetic scene that Jesus paints for us. And the whole crowd, as they're sitting there, they're not necessarily feeling bad in their culture for the poor guy. It, you know what they're thinking? They're going, whoa, what did Lazarus do to make it, to make his life so miserable? Like what did he, he must have done something so bad that God stripped him of all the blessings that a normal person would have. And then they would look at the rich guy and say, man, that must be a righteous, religious, good guy that God has blessed him with so much stuff. You guys get where I'm going with this? This is how their culture naturally thought. It's a little different than how our culture thinks. Sometimes we flip that. But, uh, but this is how they thought. In fact, one time Jesus and his disciples, they were walking along the street and uh, his disciples asked him about that. He, they were like, hey, I think they were in Jerusalem, and he's, they look at this guy. This guy's blind. He's a beggar, begging for money. And they say, hey, Jesus, see that guy over there? And Jesus is like, yeah. He's like, so who sinned? Jesus, was it, uh, was it that guy or was it his parents? This is what they ask him. They're like, who, who did the wrong thing that, that, that you would punish him and that God would punish that guy for being blind? Was it the parents, so they gave them, so they gave him a, them a blind, so God gave them a blind child? Or was it that guy, he did something so bad that God made him blind? Like, like which is it? Jesus is just like, that's not how this works. All right, and he taught them. He was like, no, 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 no. What you are thinking naturally in your culture, that is not what's going on here. And so, but all these people in this crowd, they're looking at this. They're like, okay, rich guy, really good, all right, Lazarus, really bad. In the next verse, he says, one day the poor man, Lazarus, he died. And he is carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man, he also died and was buried. Now, it's interesting that Jesus, he points this out. Uh, the Lazarus, he just died, fell over, dead, done. The rich man, he died, sure, 
But he was also taken care of. They wrapped him up. They buried him. He had a funeral. He had all this going on. Lazarus, I mean, it's almost like everybody in the crowd is going, okay, so like, did the dogs eat him? What happened? Like, nobody cared. Like, he did not die well, okay? Nobody cared what happened uh, to, to Lazarus. And so, and being in torment, now he's talking about the rich guy, in Hades, also translated as hell, it says he looked up and he happened to see Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. And so right here, what's going on in this culture is these people in the crowd, their jaw just like drops. They're just like, what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you saying that Lazarus went to heaven and this rich guy went to hell that doesn't make any sense. What's going on here? What are you saying, Jesus? And it's interesting to me because I think the crowd is probably doing what all of us do when we read a story like this. They start distancing themselves from the rich guy. Like, oh, okay, well, that guy must have been, like, he must have done some things that we didn't know about, okay? Or, or he must have been, like, really, maybe on the surface level he was good, but he must have been actually bad on the inside. Or, hey, I'm not like him, or I don't have enough, I don't have a ton of money like he did. Or if I were him, I would have helped Lazarus out a long time ago, and he didn't seem to do that, so I don't know what his deal was. But actually, like most of us, this rich man, which we're going to see in just a second, appears to be generally religious, By the way, that's kind of Jesus' point here. I mean, remember, he's talking to a bunch of Jewish people, and Jewish people were very religious. They had parts of the Bible memorized. Um, but we see here in the next verse that, uh, that, Lazarus, or that the rich guy looks over Abraham, and he calls him Father Abraham. This is extremely typical of a uh, religious, you know, typical religious Jewish man. I mean, this guy, this rich guy, he would have probably lived like a moral life, I mean, he would have he been a good person. He would have been well-respected among the community, well-respected within his family. Uh, but he was viewed as an all-around good person. He's probably the guy who, I mean, he's the guy who went to church every week. Um, he did the right things. He treated his employees right. He tried to be nice to everybody. He gave his money away sometimes. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, that's who this guy is. We see this just in the way that we see how he responds or how he, he approaches Abraham. So he yells out. He could see Lazarus. And he could see Abraham, they're a long way off, and he's just like, you know, he's in hell, and he's, he calls out. He says, hey, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, please, to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this flame. I remember being a kid and reading that part, and that, like, freaked me out. You know, out of all the things in the Bible, I was like, okay, that freaks me out. It should freak you out. But uh, this is how Abraham responds. He says, son, by the way, this response isn't like, son, I told you. No, this is a response of a loving, caring father. He's like, son, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received the bad things, but now he is comforted here while you're in agony. He says, besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, and so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, and neither can those from there cross over to us. So basically what Abraham's saying, he's saying, hey, I wish I could, but it is impossible. You are stuck where you are, right? And that's, uh, that's where you're at. He said there's this big chasm, there's a big thing, there's a big separation between hell and the presence of God. 
See, this description of hell that Jesus gives, I mean, think about it. It's a lot different than what normally people view hell as, okay? It's, it's, it's a lot different. Um, I, uh, I, I talk to a lot of people, and especially when the subject of hell comes up, uh, a lot of people, they view it as, hey, I don't know if I believe in hell, but even if I were to go, go to hell, it's not, not going to be that bad. Okay, I mean, I'll be there with my friends. I'll be there with my buddies. You know, it's going to be pretty fun. We're going to have some times together. We'll make some memories. And I'm just like, you know, where did you get that from? And where do you get that from? You know, the Bible tells us, by the way, that every good, everything that's good is actually a gift to us from God. That means that everything that brings comfort or joy, or real happiness, or rest, or whatever it may be, those are actually gifts that God gives us or allows us to have. And God loves to give. Um, one thing that I do as a, as a parent, as a dad, is whenever I go on a trip, um, you know, for work or for, or for whatever, I always bring home, like, a gift for my kids, okay? And uh, just a little thing, just to, you know, just for fun, I guess, just because I was gone. And um, it's so interesting to me that how like a 94 cent Hot Wheels car like makes my kids so happy. And I know that's probably not gonna last forever. They say when they're teenagers, you know, they don't react like that anymore. But, uh, but it just makes their day. Like give them a dumb little dollar dinosaur, you know, that I find at Walmart. And, uh, and they get so pumped out about it that something so small, it could be so good in their life and so good in their minds. And as a dad, I'll be honest with you, I love to give my kids gifts because, because of that. All right, maybe it's the age. I totally understand that. It might not be like that forever. But, uh, but it's something so small and cheap, you know, can be, they just get so pumped out. They get so excited about it. I love to see their smile on their faces. I love when they're opening it and ripping into it and then playing with it, you know, on the floor. And it's just, it, I don't know, it just does something to me. I love to watch that and I love to see the joy that's within them. You know that God's the same way, right? With us. Like God loves to give us gifts and anything that brings comfort or joy or real happiness in our life. Those things are gifts from God. Like that's straight from God. You know what hell is? Hell is the absence of God. Therefore, hell is the absence of anything good. There's nothing good in hell. Okay, there's nobody enjoying anything in hell. Actually, the Bible describes hell as a place of crying and gnashing of teeth. Right, you know what gnashing of teeth is? It's like you're gritting your teeth. You're just in pain. Um, I remember when I was uh, when I was in high school. I um, I went to I, some punk kid. He jumped on my neck, and we we're like wrestling around and stuff. And then some other kid jumped on my neck the other way, and my so my head almost ripped off once. And uh, so I went to a chiropractor. Okay, like did some damage. I was like, ugh. And uh, so I, I went to a chiropractor. You guys ever? You guys chiropractor people? We got people in here that go. Okay, seven of you guys are hurt like I was. Um, anyway, and, uh, and so I go to this guy. I kind of knew him. Actually, I really knew his daughter. His daughter was about my age. We went to different schools, but, uh, but we had like hung out within the same groups a few times, and uh, she was relatively attractive. And so I decided um, that I was going to go to that one. And so I went to this guy, went to the chiropractor, and he like adjusted me and did some things and trying to make my neck feel better. And um, I remember, I didn't know it then, but his daughter worked there. Okay, um, like in high school, she just did like different things. Wasn't aware of that, otherwise I wouldn't have gone there. 
And, uh, and so I, when I was there, he had me, after he adjusted me, he had me go over to her, and she put, like, these little electrode things on my neck, and then they put, like, electricity. I don't know what it even does to you, but, like, you, get, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, those things, electric goes through. Anyway, it doesn't feel that good. I don't know. So, um, so she does that. So I'm laying down. He has me lay down, and then she comes. She's like, hooks these things up to my neck. So it's already kind of awkward, you know, because I'm like, hey, <laughs> nice seeing you again. And we're laying there, and she tells me, she says, tell me when to stop. Well, I'm a dude, A, <laughs> you know, and B, she's attractive. So, you know, I'm just like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I don't know the level here, and I don't want to be the guy who's, you know, the wussy who's just like, you know, um, you can stop right there, and it's like level two. And she's going, what? That's it? That's all you can handle? So I'm like, keep my mouth shut, you know. And so I'm like laying there, and she, it keeps getting harder, you know, more and more and more and more and more and more until my body is like shaking. And there's nothing I can do, but I'm like trying to smile, you know. I'm like, you know, hey, it works so good. You can give me some more, but I really hope there wasn't any more I could give. And at one point, you know, she got it all the way up, and she was like, I better stop there. And, uh, and, and she walked out. And for the next, like, 15 minutes, I'm standing there. And you want to talk about gnashing your teeth, man. This thing hurt. And it was, like, pumping stuff, electricity through. And I'm just like, and I can't control my body. And it's shaking. And, it, and I'm just like, oh, you know, the whole time that this is going on. And it was embarrassing. Um, so, but, th- like, that's kind of what, like, going on in hell. It's like you're just waiting for that. There's nothing you could do but pass the time and grit your teeth, hoping that no one can see you. Um, but that's like what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying this is a place of crying. A pla- I didn't cry. This is a place of gnashing of teeth. I gnashed my teeth. All right. So the Bible describes it as a lake of fire, a place of darkness, a place that is forever. Basically what the Bible warns us and what God's warning us is, is he's saying, you don't want to go there. This is not a place where you want to go. You know, Jesus once said in Matthew 18, he says, hey, if your hand or your foot causes you to fall away, he says, cut it off. I recommend counseling first, but, uh, but he says, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter the life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, hey, it is better for me as a dad, to, as Zach Pinkerton, as never to be able to hold my own kids or never be able to, for you never to be able to hold your own grandkids than it would be to be able to do it and end up in hell. That's what he's saying. He says, in the next verse, he says, hey, if your eye causes you to fall away, by the way, eyes freak me out. Like, eyes hurt, and they're soft, and people, you know, I don't know, just, this freaks me out. He says, gouge it out. I think Jesus, like, one-upped himself here. He's like, gouge it out, all right? Like, get that knife and start cutting away at it. Doesn't that freak you out, man? No, okay. Well, that makes me kind of cringe. He says, gouge it out and throw it away, Okay. He said, it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into into hellfire. See, what he's saying is, is he's saying, hey, it's better for me to never be able to see the sunrise or see the boys play, my boys play sports or to watch my kids graduate or to see my, my, my daughter get married than to have seen those things and end up in hell. 
I mean, here's Jesus. He's saying, hey, it is way better for your eyes to be gouged out than for you to go to that place. He's trying to explain to us how horrible hell is and that it is worth going to extreme measures to avoid that place. You know, I've talked to a lot of people, and uh, I feel like the biggest pushback that people have is they say this, and they, I think a lot of people, they think like, hey, I've thought about this, and you've never thought about this, which bothers me because I'm like, yeah. They say, how could a loving God send good people to hell? Like, how could a loving God send people to hell? That just does not sound fair. And my response always I don't always say this, but inside I'm like, dude, bro, you don't want fair. You don't want fair. You haven't gotten fair. You don't know what fair is. You don't want fair because fair is every single one of us spend hell, spend eternity in hell because we are all sinners, jacked up, messed up people. That's what's fair. You don't want fair. But people, they ask, they say, well, I just don't see, you know, God wouldn't do something like that. And I'm just like, what are you basing that off of? Well, I just think, I just think that's how he is, or I just, I just know. I'm like, let me just, for a second. If hell's in the balance here, you are basing your eternity off of you just know? That's not something I want to base my eternity off of. See, here's what you're saying when you embrace that idea. Let me explain this. You are saying that rejecting Jesus ain't that big of a deal. Rejecting God of the universe who is infinitely holy, eh, who cares? That's what you're saying. Because hell for eternity is actually punishment for our rebelling against God, which, by the way, every single one of us rebel against God on a daily basis. The Bible calls it sin, okay? That's, that's what it is when you do something wrong. And by the way, um, it's, God's standard is so high. I mean, even having a bad attitude, not having joy, like even something as small as that in our, as small as that in our minds, that's sin, okay? That, that, that's wrong. Some of you guys are sinning right now, okay, because you're waiting for me to be done and I'm not shutting up. <laughs> Bad attitude. But what you're saying is your punishment just doesn't seem to fit the crime. Well, if you're saying that, then you have to say that it's just not that big of a deal to reject God. And your issue is that you are severely underestimating the holiness and the justice of God. That's your problem. Well, he wouldn't do such a thing. Well, what about where over and over and over and over again, he says that he does. What about that? See, everyone who is guilty wants mercy, not justice. We're all the same there. God actually doesn't send anyone to hell. What he does is he honors their choice to live without him. And he gives that to them. See, if God forced everyone to go to heaven... What he's doing is he's actually forcing people to spend eternity worshiping a God that they don't want to worship. That doesn't sound fair. If God forced everyone to go to heaven, what he would be doing is forcing people who have chosen not to follow him with their own free will to follow him or to, to have that relationship with him. See, that's why this rich guy ended up in hell. It's not because poor people go to heaven and rich people all go to hell. That's not, that's not what's going on. All right, this rich guy, he chose not to give his life to God, and he chose to live his life his own way. By the way, that's a choice that a lot of us in this room have made or choose to make. 
And so in a sense, what he's done is he's, he's chosen to pay for his own sin. Which, by the way, is the only thing that you can do in hell. Is pay for your sin. Either way, it's going to get paid for. Either you pay for it in hell or you accept Jesus paid for it on the cross. Because God being perfectly just and holy can't just sweep our sin and sweep our wrong under the rug. He can't just pretend like it doesn't exist. That's not just. That ain't right. Every sin will be paid for, whether in hell or on the cross. And Jesus, God's saying, hey, you get to choose. We get the choice. It's really a gift. Now back to the story. You got this guy, the rich guy. He's asking for a drip of water. He's asking for some momentary, temporary relief that you can have as he's in hell. And Abraham has to tell him, he says, hey, man, I wish I could. I really wish I'd do, son. But it is impossible for me to do that. And in verse 16, or in verse 27, he says, father, he said, then I beg you. It's a rich man talking to Abraham. He says, I beg you to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they will also come to this place of torment. Here's this guy. He, again, here's, he's, he's semi-religious, okay, like a lot of us view ourselves. He believes in probably God and just never gave his life over to Jesus. And, um, and so here's this guy, and he still cares about his family. Like he's like, man, okay, if there's nothing that could be done for me, at least send Lazarus from the dead to go back to my brothers because they will recognize him because he, he camped out outside our house every night on the street begging for, begging for money. At least send him to them so that they won't also come to this place. But Abraham said, he says, no, 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 no. They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. Now, it's interesting because Moses and the prophets didn't exist at this time. Uh, like, they weren't actually walking around. This is a thousand years later after Moses, you know. And um, what's he talking about here? He's talking about what they wrote down. He's talking about the Bible. He's saying, hey, don't worry about it. They got God's word. Like, they got the truth. They have it. Like most of us, probably every single, every single one of us in here, we all have access to, to the Bible. We all got internet. Uh, but probably every, probably every single one of us, we got a physical copy at home. We got a Bible. It's sitting under the bed. It's sitting on the shelf somewhere. We got that old family Bible. It's got some names written in it. It's just huge. You know, maybe we got one of those. And, um, and he's, Moses is like, hey, or not Moses. Uh, Abraham's like, hey, they got, they got them. Right? They have God's word. That's what they got to listen to. And so this guy pushes back. He's like, no, Father Abraham, you don't understand. He says, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. Like that'll, that'll catch their attention. Check out what Abraham says. He says, son, if, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they don't listen to the message that God has already given them through, the, through God's word, he says, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. The story stops. Done. See, Abraham is saying, hey, the Bible gives us the warning. The Bible gives us the truth. And then he says, the Bible is enough. That's all they need. And actually, that's the best way. And so it really makes us think, as I was sitting here studying this this week, I'm like, you know, why did Jesus tell the story? Like, we don't really know much of the background. We don't know if someone asked a question or if someone said something about hell. And Jesus is like, hey, let me tell you about that place, actually. You know, we don't know necessarily what happened. But one thing that we do know is that Jesus tells us a story because he wants us to know about it. 
You know, Jesus wants us to know because God didn't create hell for people. We know that Jesus also said in Matthew 25 that God created hell for the devil and his angels. Like that's what hell was created for. Meaning that when people end up in hell, they end up in a place that God never intended them to go. And that God doesn't want them to go. Because my kids have so many toys, partly my fault, but mostly the grandparents' fault. Um, the, uh, I had to make a rule this summer as I was mowing my lawn. I realized that they got in this habit of taking like, they, so dinosaurs, that's like a big thing in my house right now. I talked to Toby about it. He'll tell you all these different things that I can't even pronounce. And, um, and so dinosaurs, they'll take them out in the grass in the backyard. They'll like play with them and stuff. I don't know what they do. They're out there. And, um, and what I started noticing is that when I'm mowing, that is really annoying. You know, I got all these toys everywhere. You got to stop. You got to pick it up. I chuck it across the yard. You know, I'm getting mad, bad attitude, and all this stuff. And um, so what I had to do is I had to go to Toby one day. I'm like, hey, Toby, you've got a new rule here. Got a really good new rule. You're going to be pumped for this new rule. That's, hey, all the toys that you take outside in the backyard, you have to bring back inside once you're done. Otherwise, someday I'm going to run over with the mower, and it's going to be a disaster. And you're going to cry, and it's all going to be bad. And so Toby's like, yeah, yeah. You know, he, he got it, and he seemed to understand. Well, it was like the next time I mowed, I'm out there, I'm mowing, and sure enough, I mowed over like a patch of dinosaurs, okay, or pile, whatever. I mowed over a pile of dinosaurs, and, um, and there's like parts flying everywhere. Like there's arms and legs and heads. They're all strewn out throughout my yard. And I finished mowing. I go in the, inside. I grab Toby. I'm like, hey, um, Toby, <laughs> you remember that rule that I had? Yeah, I remember that. Okay. Uh, well, you didn't do it, and I ran over some of your dinosaurs with the lawnmower. And he, like, I didn't think, he, like, I thought he'd care, but didn't think that would be a big, that big of a deal. But, dude, this dude was sad, okay? Maybe one of the saddest I've ever seen him, which is kind of pathetic. But he, he runs outside, and he runs over to the yard, and there's, again, there's body parts everywhere. Like, there's scattered throughout, because I hit, like, a few different piles. And um, on, not on purpose, Maybe a couple of them. Anyway, but, uh, but they're out there. We have too many toys. It's a good way to get rid of them. And um, so there, there's just these dinosaur parts all over the place. And so Toby goes, he's like picking them up. And he's like, he's not crying, but I mean, he's like on the verge. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm starting to feel bad. You know, some of them, they're not my fault. I didn't know they were there because I didn't mow last week and my grass was really high. So I couldn't see him. And so, you know, he's like picking them up and, and he's like, can we put these back together? And I'm like, no, there's nothing that can be done for that guy. He's down. And he's just like devastated, man. I mean, he's sad. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, okay, let me get this straight. My kids want the toy. Like, they want it. They want it really bad, but they don't care enough about it to pick it up necessarily, even after I warn them about what could happen. And because of that, Toby and Wes and Lizzie even, I mean, they lost out on that gift. Some of them were the dinosaurs that I had given them. Um, you know, they lost out on the, that gift forever. See, I think that's how, I know, that's how people treat heaven and hell in general, and, and just God. That's how we treat God. We say, hey, God, um, yeah, I want that gift of heaven. That sounds pretty good to me. I like all those things. Um, but God, I'm going to, I'm going to, so, so put me on that list. Put me on the heavens list, and I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do my life the way I want it done, and I'm going to do my own thing. But when there's an issue, God, then I want you to come over here and fix it. But you just stay right over there. Put my name on that list. I want, I want the gift from you, but I'm going to go over here and do life my own way. We don't care enough about giving our lives over to Jesus to actually get the gift or to keep the gift. 
And because of that, we lose out on the gift forever that God is like, he wants to give us. Man, it's funny because none of us like the idea of hell, but many of us think, you know, we could think of people who should be there. Okay, I'm not talking about like your coworker, that guy that you hate. I'm saying, um, I'm saying like, like most of us, we could go, well, Hitler, he was bad. He should be there. And a child rapist, like that is horrible. One of, some of those people should be there. Or a serial killer, maybe someone who just kills for fun. Like those people should be there. And you know what we end up doing? We start drawing a line. Like, hey, some people should be in hell. Yeah, that's totally cool. But, but me and, and everybody else shouldn't. What we do is we draw the line right in front of us. Say, yeah, those people bad. But me, I'm not that bad. And so I'm going to be over here. But the truth is we all deserve hell. We all do. Why? Because we're all sinners. We've all rebelled against an infinitely perfect, holy God, and we all deserve an infinite punishment because of that. That's what's fair. That's what's right. But God offers us forgiveness, and the way he did that, he just didn't come out and say, hey, yeah, I forgive you. You're all good. No, he had to pay for it. It cost him something. And so Jesus came down, and he died on that cross. We ended up actually putting him to death. And in that moment, God, the Bible tells us, God poured out his wrath on himself, and he took our punishment so that we can live. And now God's saying, hey, I took the bullet for you, all right? He's saying, hey, I took the, I took, I paid for everything that you've ever done. All you gotta do is choose to have a relationship with me and it's yours. It's your choice. I gave you a way out. I'm not gonna force you to take it. So the question is, what do we do? Right, like, like, what do we do? Number one, some of you guys, you need to give your lives over to Jesus, okay? There's no better time to do that than right now, at this minute. Don't listen to another word I say. You don't have to say it out loud. God knows your every thought. You should be doing that like right now. There's no better time to do it than today, than now. Stop doing life on your own. Surrender. I mean, that's the word, right? Surrender your life over to Jesus because he came down and he paid for you and he, he, he loves you. And that's what he's saying here. I mean, this screams like he's saying, I love you. I proved it. Like I died for you and it cost me something and I've given you the chance to have freedom from sin and I beg you, I don't want you to go to that place but I'm not gonna force you. You get to choose. See, one way or another, we're all gonna die, right? We're all gonna die. And some of you guys, we don't know when that's gonna happen. We're not guaranteed another minute. Another minute would actually is a gift from God, right? But God loves some of you guys. And you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus. I'm just warning, you know, I'm just telling you, all right? You know, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And God loves you so much that somehow he got you here on hell day, okay? You know, <laughs> we're talking about hell. It's a warning from God saying, hey, this is real. This is a real place. So you need to give your lives over to him. The others, you know, others of us, uh, we gave our lives over to Jesus maybe recently, maybe a long time ago. You know what we need to do? Like, if there's anything that motivates us to tell our friends about what Jesus has done for them, it should be this, right? The fact that hell's real, the fact that we got people in our lives, people at work, our friends, family members who are on the path to this place. Like, that should, you know, that should convince us or that should motivate us to convince others before it's too late for them. Like, it should bother you. I don't know how else to say it. This should bother you. It should bother you enough to do something about it. 
and do whatever you can to try to convince people to choose Jesus. That's all we can do, right? But instead, we as Christians, we kind of put it out of our minds. We think, eh, I don't think about that today. We just go live on our normal life. It's messed up. See, the Bible says that hell is real. People are going there. Religious people are going there. People who don't think that they're going there are going there. The only thing that can save us is what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on that cross and by giving our lives over to him. Let's pray. God, we, um, <clears throat> we thank you for this warning. We thank you for these words. We thank you for, for dying for us. I mean, something we can't even imagine what that is. Can't even imagine what happened on that cross as you poured out your wrath on yourself for us because of your love for us. God, we ask that if there's anybody in this room that hasn't done that, that they would give their lives over to you today. And Lord, we ask that uh, those of us who have already done that maybe in our past, that God, man, help us to uh, help us to reach those around us and tell others about the good news that you offer forgiveness and that you offer, I mean, you offer saving grace. You want us to have a relationship with you. That's what we were created for. And help us to do that. Help us to give our lives over to you and help us to share that with others around us. You call us to do that. You tell us to do that. God, we, <clears throat> again, we thank you for this story and we thank you for this warning that you gave us straight out of your mouth. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.